Uh, just a few things just to, just to sort of um, get started here. Um, one, I, I, I noticed this morning in Sunday school how far I've fallen from my, my fundamentalist background. Um, this morning I'll be using a PowerPoint, which is not how Paul preached. Um, I don't have a tie on, and I won't be using the King James. And so I think I've probably been excommunicated today from my old church. But, um, but that's okay. And I'm also mindful that the last time I preached uh, and the time previous, uh, if you're visitor, by the way, I'm, I'm not the pastor. Uh, a hearty, a hearty soberly. Um, I, I'm a lay elder, a privilege to be a lay elder here. And, um, but the, the last few times I've preached, I've sort of opened by sharing that um, my vision as I've gotten older has been declining. And so I was wearing glasses with a greater and greater strength to try to help me read my notes. And then the last time I preached, I think I was trying contacts. Uh, I just want you to know I've given up completely, and I've had LASIK. And so now I could, I could put my sermon on a microfish, and, and I could read it. <laughs> the, the problem is anything beyond three feet is a blur. So that little screen and what will be on that screen, I may not have a clue. Um, so let's hope, um, let's hope the LASIK is, is going to help me a little bit. Um, I'm going to be uh, in, as you know, Hebrews 10. Uh, I appreciate uh, Charles leading us in reading sort of the pre, the pre uh, verses for today's sermon. So I'm going to I'm going to start with them reading in Hebrews 10:19 uh, through 25, uh, and jump in. And I believe that's uh, some of those are on the on the PowerPoint. If we can start that, there we go. I'm going to start in 19. Uh, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, uh, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, uh, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, um, not, not by any means obscure uh, passages. We've heard that passage many times probably. And I know in my own lifetime, um, I've heard it preached a number of times. And it's generally the passage of folks go to to get people to come to church. You know, let's not forsake the assembling of others, as is the habit of some, uh, which is translated, y'all need to be here uh, Sunday mornings, and depending on your background, if it was like mine, you needed to be here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and whenever we sort of open the doors. Um, I will tell you that uh, church attendance may be a fine application of that passage, um, but I would hold to you that Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 are not about goading people into coming to church. Um... That is not, uh, I don't believe, what the writer had in mind, nor the Lord uh, when he inspired the passage. Uh, what we're going to see as we look at the context and we walk through the passage, uh, this is a passage about calling a people to, um, to assemble um, in all sorts of ways, but more importantly, to be intentional to sort of help each other. Um, we are a body. And so it's not so much about are you a good Christian if you come every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock or do all those other things. It's, it's what's held out as, as normal Christian life is that Christians help each other. Uh, they, they help encourage each other. 
uh, toward loving good works. And, and really, because they know there is a day ahead. And so they're motivated, not only by love of Christ, confident in what he's done, but they also know this is a sprint. Uh, it doesn't, contrary to what we think when we're young, this isn't going to be this way forever. There is a day coming. So that's what I want to walk through. And I'm going to start with some, just some ideas or some, some, some thoughts on context. Uh, first of all, uh, not spend much time here. We don't know who wrote it. Um, uh, some have thought Barnabas, some have thought Paul, some have thought Apollos. I, I voted for Jack Holmes. I'm really not sure. Um, I thought the dating of 65 AD lined up pretty well, so I'm not sure. Um, um, I hope you all know I love Jack. It's, uh, I'm, I'm horrible if you don't know I love Jack. Um, the date, um, don't know that for sure either. Um, I'm going to hold to what smart people have held to. Uh, and say about 65 A.D. It's important because um, this is a book that's going to talk a lot about the temple and temple practices, and those practices are still going on. We know the temple was demolished in 70 A.D., so we're going to put it before that. We know that it wasn't way before that because we're told that they, were, they should have been mature believers. I mean, this is a church that had been in existence for a while. So I, I think for that and a lot of other reasons, um, scholars would say uh, 65 A.D., and the audience, and, and this is where I would camp just a second because it's helpful as we go forward, mostly believers, mostly believers. Now, if for, if for a second you think that Hebrews is written solely to believers, well, then you get really kind of sideways because there are passages in there that clearly talk about people who are not the Lord's. And that's led people who see it as all believers, uh, that's led uh, parts of the body of Christ to, to sort of create a new category of people that abandon their faith, that become apostate. And it's because they say, well, if everybody's a believer, but some don't make it, well, there must be a, you can, you can sort of walk away from your faith. And I would submit to you that, that that's not what the passage teaches. The fact is, not unlike when Tom preaches every week in this church to a believing community, there are people here who are not believers. Just like this morning, there are people here who are not believers. So uh, Hebrews, mostly believers, but not all, um, facing great difficulty. Keep in mind, these were people that um, began to follow this, this, this crazy man who said he was God. Um, this, is, this is a group of people who said that they did not have to rely on the priest anymore, that they had a better priest. This is a group of people that said, we don't have to um, like, hope that we do all the laws right so God will love us. They said, no, he just loves us through his son. And that was very offensive. Uh, and in fact, they paid a high price for it. Um, the Jewish community that did not follow Jesus uh, found that very offensive. It, it said that their precious faith may be deficient, in fact, was deficient, uh, because it, it would not save an individual. And they felt the wrath of their community, but whether it's in their home, uh, in the workplace, um, in the synagogue, the high priest came out and said, you can have nothing to do with synagogue practice. You, you people are, are freaks and you're, you're heretics and, and you'll have nothing to do with the pure Jewish community. And that, that hadn't went away. I, I was remembered this week a, a conversation I had about five years ago on a flight. Uh, uh, I don't remember where from, but sitting beside uh, a Jewish attorney. And I work with lots of Jewish people. A lot of my friends are Jewish. And so I'm, I'm talking to this guy. I'm very comfortable with Judaism. And I said, you know, can I ask you a question? He was a very uh, articulate man. And I said, what, what do you think of Messianic Jews? Because I was just curious. 
And it, it's funny, he's a very smart guy. His first thought was, is this one of your evangelistic tools to get me to learn I need Jesus? And I said, no, I'm not going to tell you you need Jesus. Um, I'm just curious. And I was. And he proceeded to just lambast Messianic Jews. I mean, it was a visceral response. He, he saw them as, you know, there's like Orthodox Jews, and then there's Reformed Jews who are, they're kind of like the typical Baptist. You know, they don't, they don't take it super seriously either. And then, there's, um, then there are Messianic Jews. And an Orthodox Jew, and I have friends that are Orthodox, they, they don't have a great respect for the Reformed people who don't take their holy faith seriously, but they absolutely detest those people who follow Jesus. And so back then, they, you know, they felt it even more acutely, I'm sure. So mostly believers um, enduring significant difficulty for their faith, for their confession. And sadly, they were not as mature as they should be, even though they had been around for some decades. Uh, we were told, you know, by now you ought to be teachers, and you need to be taught like a baby. So that's uh, who we're dealing with. The occasion uh, was that because of this great difficulty, they were rethinking their options. You know, Maybe we should just go back. I mean, you can just see a mom and dad thinking over, over the table, eating whatever they ate over their table, some goat or something. And they, what are we going to do? Our kids can't go to the school anymore. Nobody's doing business with us. We're going broke. All, the, all my girlfriends are there at the temple, but I can't go in anymore. And none of the guys will fish with me. That's sort of timeless, right? Guys going fishing. Just used a net. And, but they won't fish. We're cut off. We are absolutely um, cut off. Do you, think, do you think maybe we could just go back and maybe just maybe not talk so much about Jesus? I mean, we, we know we need Jesus, but maybe we could go back. Or maybe they could be like those Judaizers who said, you can have it both. You can hold to the law and still have Jesus. And so they obviously, and, and any of us who would say, how dare they think of that? We're just being... You know, shame on us if, we, if we're so harsh. We would be thinking that, too. I would be thinking that. If my kids were picked on every day, if my wife couldn't talk to her friends anymore, and all the myriad things that came with their persecution, yeah, we'd be thinking that. So this letter uh, is written by whoever penned it with a theme. And the theme is, don't go back. Don't go back. I get what you're thinking, but don't go back. And here's why. Uh, what you have is better. You have, you know, God spoke through the prophets, but now he's spoken through the Son. You have a better revelation. Um, you have a better Savior. Uh, your Savior is better than the angels, which that doesn't maybe mean a whole lot to us, but if you were in a little culture where angels were uh, occasionally worshipped, um, it would have landed uh, more heavily on you. Don't go back. Jesus is better than what you had. He's better than angels. He's even better than Moses. You know, Moses, and you talk about, you know, that's, that is the iconic figure in their history, and Jesus is better than him. And by the way, all the other priests and all the other order of Aaron, don't go back. And by the way, you also have a better sanctuary because what they have is sort of a picture. It's sort of, a, it's sort of a, the best we could do to... To physically demonstrate the sanctuary with a curtain and all that stuff, you have the real sanctuary, not not curtains and some some artifacts behind it, um, but you actually get to go through Christ into the holy place. I mean, what you have is way better. There's just no comparison better. Um, 
and you have a better sacrifice. Because your neighbors, uh, those people that won't talk to you, they have to go back every week and get somebody to kill something else. Because it never takes away any of the sin. You don't have to do that anymore. Your, your sacrificial system is done. So don't go back. So in light of that, if that's what the writer has, has said, particularly in these first nine or ten chapters, it's almost a doctrinal position. Um, he moves towards sort of practice. and So in light of kind of stuff. So here's what you do. You don't go back. You draw closer to God. Draw closer. Don't, don't back away and go back into the temple. You draw closer uh, with confidence to enter the real holy place. Remember I mentioned they could go into the real holy place through Christ, um, through the blood of Christ. Now, you know, this um, blood is not as big a deal to us today um, because we don't, you know, we're not slaying animals out front. But blood was, a, was an idea they really understood. Sprinkling and those ideas that, that this writer's talking about, um, it landed on them really clearly. When, don't go back. In fact, move toward Christ with confidence uh, because of last week, um, the, the bread and the wine, right? The, the, the juice and the, the cup and the bread last week. They reminded us of that broken flesh and that spilled blood, right? So he appeals, the writer appeals to them, don't go back. In fact, in, get closer to God because of what you have and go with, uh, go with assurance, not with fear. Uh, it, it is, you know, we've talked about this in our Bible study. I'm in a Bible study with some guys and now, we talk about this tendency we have in our quiet times to, to sort of go through a season of flogging. So, let's say your typical quiet times, whatever, you know, 21 minutes. I don't know what it is. Uh, how many of those minutes do we spend saying, God, I'm, I know I'm bad. I know I'm bad. Forgive me, God. Forgive me. Like he couldn't hear it the first time or something. So we need to repeat it a bunch. Um, not only could he hear us the first time, he had already done it. But we, we take some precious real estate of that 21 minutes and we flog ourselves. And it ends up being a quiet time about us. <laughs> Ironically, our quiet times become almost the self-worship because we talk about ourselves. 19 minutes. You know, 14 minutes of flogging and, what, five minutes of requests. And then, by the way, God, you're great too. That's... Um, that is not um, entering with the full assurance of faith. Entering with the full assurance of faith is, look, it's amazing. As broken as I am, I'm approaching you through Christ, and you love me. That's, that's the opening of that 21 minutes. And hold fast the confession uh, because of the faithfulness of Christ. So don't, just, don't go back, but move closer to Christ, and then where I would move us in, in, in our time today is draw near to other believers. And that's why this is so much more than, you know, checking on your list that you are, you're a good Christian because you came here at 11 o'clock and 7 o'clock tonight and 6.30 um, on, on Wednesday night if you had that sort of background. So let's look at um, uh, verses 24 and 25. I'm going to read them again and then just walk through them. By the way, it's because of that confession and that confidence, uh, vertically, we're able to move horizontally. And, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as a habit of some, but encouraging one another. So much the more as you see the day approaching. Uh, this notion of considering, I just want to walk through the verse, and then we're going to spend the, the, 
the rest of our time in just sort of application. Um, the very idea that he's saying consider uh, says that this is an option. Um, we don't have to do this. In fact, we can, we can what these verses are pres- going to prescribe, uh, we, can, we can not do. Um, but the writer is calling us to consider these things. Um, the how-to, consider how-to, suggests that this is going to be practical. This is, um, this is not going to be esoteric. Uh, this isn't going to be, um, this, this uh, prescription that the writer's given is not going to be some head thing. This is, this is practical stuff. And it's how to stir up one another. Now, some, some translations would say spur, and some would say stir. Um, and I know that historically when you talk about somebody stirring up something, it's probably not considered a positive thing, right, Jim? They're stirring up a mess, you know, stirring the pot or stirring the bee's nest or whatever example y'all had. But um, the, the word actually, um, it could be translated irritate or exacerbate. So uh, this encouraging and stirring isn't just always about hugs and come on, Levy, you can do it, brother. Sometimes it's, Levy, what are you, what are you smoking? What are you thinking? You know, you, you, can't, you can't do that. You, 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 that behavior is destructive. So anyway, we'll talk more about that. Um, stir up to love and good works. And not surprisingly, love and good works are sort of signature, uh, signature marks of the believer, right? Um, we love God, love others um, as we love ourselves. And then James would say, faith, I'll show you my faith by my works. So no surprise there. Um, and then this whole idea of not neglecting um, to meet. Uh, it doesn't say church. You're with me on that? I really want to pound this notion that this is a passage about Sunday morning attendance. It doesn't say that. Um, it's just one of many ways that we assemble to encourage each other and to worship. Um, not, not, not missing or, or failing to, to assemble as is the habit of some. I do want to touch on that. Uh, the fact is there were people then and now who are habitually non-assemblers. Now, I hesitate to just say not church attenders because I don't want it to be about just church. But I will say then and now, uh, there are people uh, who uh, confess Christ who see little value in gathering with the body, whether it's on Sunday morning or Tuesday evening. Um, and, and I wrote in the outline that it's sort of ironically spiritual. And what I mean by that is, back then there were people that didn't join the local body because they felt like they were somehow beyond that need. They were a, sort of an Illuminati. They, they joined a sect that was out here and they were you know, doing their own thing. They were almost too spiritual to have to get together with the rest of the church. Um, and while we're, we don't want to be legalists about church attendance, we are absolutely uh, people who hold a high view of local church and of local church faithfulness, right? So uh, not only were there people then who uh, did not uh, join together but were proud of it, we have that today um, within and without the church. Without the church, I, I saw a bumper sticker last night that said, I'm sorry about that, I saw a bumper sticker that said, um, Nature is my church. And, and, you know, so you've got a bumper sticker. You must believe it, right? You want everybody to know it. But that's not just without. Within the church, uh, there are a lot of folk that we talk to about how they can grow through faithfully engaging the local body. And they tell you they just don't need that. That their time with Jesus is sweet. You know, they can, they can go to the nature and see it. Uh, they can see it in the sky. Um, they can, and and I'm, I'm not saying that God didn't make those things, and they're wonderful, and they are reflective. But the fact is, the scriptures are pretty clear that we should be together encouraging us, and that doesn't happen in some isolated experience out on the water or the mountain or whatever. Um, and, 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 of course, we, we would 
recognize that there are a lot of people that don't come to the local church today because they say, you know, I have this, this preacher that I follow uh, in some popular media form, and they feed me just great. And, and I, I might agree that we would appreciate those preachers, um, some of them, but this passage doesn't say you have the option of getting it off your you know, a podcast if you want to. We're actually called to assemble, and we'll talk more about that. Uh, encouraging each other. Uh, all I would say there is if we would just consider what the word encourage, even in its English form, represents. It's this notion of putting courage into someone. That's, that's really what this is talking about. Now, they were facing a really difficult situation, uh, maybe more difficult than we're facing today. They needed courage, but we need that courage too. Um, so much more in, in light of the coming day. I don't, I don't really know what that means. I could have asked Frank. Frank, I'm not sure what that means. But I, I can tell you some things people have said it means. Um, it could have been the destruction of the temple, which is, turns out right around the corner. Uh, it could be the return of Christ, imminent then, imminent now. Um, it might have been uh, when you individually face the Lord. I don't know if that was the original intention, but that's sure enough how it works out practically. Uh, there will be a time when all of us, whether through some grand rapture or uh, through the failing of our body or the hitting of a bus. I mean, you know, there is a day for all of us. And, and in light of that, when we recognize that this is not like the way it's going to be forever, uh, we're motivated to think about making this, redeeming this time. Now, I would add, um, you might say, well, they were in this really unique situation, and how does that apply to us? Nobody's coming after us. And what I would tell you is, it was uniquely difficult. That's true. But what they were told to do there is not just some triage method. What they were told to do there is just the normative Christian life. It's, and you see it through all the New Testament with the one and others. This, this engaging each other, bearing one another, um, forgiving one another, encouraging one another, that's just Christian life. The fact is it happens to be really good in the tough times. It happens to be maybe a little sweeter in the tough times. And I would add, we, we might want to just look ahead a little bit. Um, I know we live in this little evangelical bubble up here in North Raleigh where um, capitalists and Republicans and Christians and all, they all kind of look the same, right? Um, I would tell you that that, that, hey, that was never true. You all know that. But it's even going to become very obviously not true in our lifetimes. You know, th th this thing about Tom and others standing here unapologetically, not only uh, proclaiming the gospel, but its application in real life, do you not think just by looking around that that will not be vogue much longer? We may be the last to fall in North Raleigh, but we will, whether it's in our personal faithfulness at work or in our, in our church faithfulness from the pulpit or in any other measure of our life, we will face uh, more difficulty in the future than we face. I'm, like, I'm no apocalyptic guy. I don't go around telling you that, you know, Satan's here. And I'm not a, you know, all those stories that came about at the end time. I don't, I don't buy any of those books. You know, theologically, I don't, plus I'm cheap. But I, I, I'm, not, I'm not calling out some apocalyptic warning. I'm just telling you, look around. Um, we may not have uh, to deal exactly with what they dealt with, but um, we may need each other in the future more than we think we do now. That's what I would tell you. But we need each other now. So let's move toward application here. So what about us now? What does it mean?
who stirs. I'll start there. I want to move through these fairly quickly. I just have a few points I want to make. Uh, in terms of who stirs, who ought to be stirring others to good works? Uh, I would say uh, men and women. Um, my observation has been that sometimes men can check out on this, and maybe women too, I, but I've never been a woman. Um, men can, are often very happy to just kind of like come to church and say, see their buddies and, and go on and not really have empathy toward the, maybe the pain or need of others. And so we, we might need an additional reminder here that this spurring each other, this calling each other to love and good works, this, this trying to put courage in someone in light of the confession that we have and in light of the, the coming day, uh, we all need to be reminded, and, and I'm uniquely aware of that as a man, uh, the young and not so young. Um, I think some people think, well, you know, maybe, maybe as a teenager or a young adult, maybe that's not really, this isn't my season. Um, and I would submit to you that if, in fact, this is the normal Christian life, that we are to be engaging each other um, to, to call each other to love and good works, well, there's no sort of um, season when that doesn't apply. It's, in fact, it's how you would want to order your life. And, and conversely, uh, there's no age when you just get sort of a pass. You know, when you, what is it 72? Is it 82? Is it 92 when this doesn't apply? I would argue that the closer you, you get to that day, uh, you would think, arguably, you'd be the one that would talk most about preparing, calling people to love and good works. Because that day might seem more imminent to you as you get older. Um, the learned and less learned, uh, I say, I put that on here only because I'm very aware that we are, we are blessed, I believe, on the whole, with a lot of rich theology in our church and a lot of rich theological thinkers. But I am concerned sometimes that we confuse that with being sort of the end of it all. Um, I know in my own life, I wish I could trade some of my theological understanding for a little more faithfulness. Um, I can tell you all about Jesus because I've had a lot of classes. But how many do I tell about Jesus? I know people who have no concept of good reformed theology, but they tell their neighbors and coworkers that, that Jesus loves them and came to die for them. And I have to think that, that we might need both, not either or, right? Um, so it's not just for the learned or the less learned. This notion that, well, I, I don't have a, the theological training of Tom or somebody like that. Well, you know, most of the people in my life that have impacted me in the real world have not had great theological training. And you might say the same thing. There have been godly people, faithful people, regular people. Um, and most of my encouragement... Uh, generally doesn't come from within uh, the, the group of people who have been to seminary. Uh, they come from people that have like whatever normal is, and they love me, and they call me out on stuff. Um, and the outgoing and not so outgoing, this is just this notion that, well, uh, encouraging people, that's not my thing. I'm too shy, I'm too whatever. Well, the, what, what it looks like may be different, and we'll talk about that here as we move to the close, but nobody's, nobody's optioned out on this list. Uh, this, is, this is to the body, to the body. And we're all, all believers are part of the body. Uh, where does this stirring happen? And, you know, I put down some. I don't want to spend much time here. Uh, there is this official at church stuff, but there are lots of other opportunities. Uh, what I would comment on is what might stop us from doing this? Um, fear of others? 
Um, uh, fear of rejection, that, that, that's definitely one. I, I will tell you, uh, that's something that I struggle with, um, is a fear of, of what people might think of me. Um, you know, as, as it turns out, there is no direct correlation between being big and loud and boisterous and being scared of people. Uh, I'm, I'm arguably, you know, as big and loud and boisterous as anybody in here. But it tears me up to think that you might not like me. And I've heard a lot of y'all say that too. So, um, <laughs> thankfully, I know y'all like me. I, you do. Please, Adam, tell me you like me. So, yeah. Um, what, what I will tell you is that underneath the fear of others and that fear of rejection, let's really call it what it is. It's a love of ourselves. It's, it's, a, it's a desire that says, I want you to love me. And, and if we had time to drill deeper, we'd say, because I really don't know that God loves me sufficiently. And I need you to love me to make up for some deficiency. That's a whole nother, whole nother time. Uh, laziness is a, is a reason. You know, uh, whether it's taking the time to think of who I'm going to talk to next Sunday morning or just getting up and walking. Um, I know that's, that's an issue for me as well. A love of comfort. I thought about this. Uh, for years, I sat behind Jack and, or we sat behind Jack and Susan. It's comfortable. I, look, I, I like Jack. Jack's one of my best friends. And I like sitting behind Jack. But the fact is, I didn't know half the church. And so in some little baby step of effort, we moved to the other side of the church. You know, it's a, it's a, you know some people go to uh, East Asia. Uh, some people go to Haiti. We, we, we went, you know, 49 <laughs> feet over there. You liked that one a bunch, didn't you? Uh, but it was this comfort of I'm there and, and Levy sits beside me and Jack's in front of me. And, and I would say that's just not a good reason to disobey what is clearly the teaching of Scripture, that we all, we all, <laughs> what's that tell you? It doesn't, by the way, that doesn't mean I'm supposed to stop. That was a warning that stopping has to come sooner than later. That's all that means. Um, yeah, y'all might want to appreciate that. Um, this, this thing about um, moving to other people because we really do believe we really do believe that Christ died for us. We really do believe that he shed his blood. And we really do believe that he made a better way. And we really do believe that there is a day coming. If we believe that, then moving um, before the service or after the service with some express, some intent, that doesn't seem crazy. If we don't believe it, then it's probably just a pain. Uh, I touched on this perceived lack of ability or gifting. And, and then I summed it up. Uh, this was my attempt at some theologically rich sounding buzzword. Um, churchified hedonism. And, you know, hedonism is this sort of, of, love, of love of, you know, what makes me happy. You know, we, it's a fairly hedonistic culture. I think we'd most agree with that. Um, and we can sort of make that, we can create that right here. Uh, if what I see on Sunday morning is, yeah, we're going to worship, and yeah, and we're going to hear the sermon, but what I'm going to do when I get in there is find my buddies, sit with my buddies, talk to my buddies, and Guys and gals both have buddies, right? Um, and then at the break between Sunday school and the service, I'm going to hang out with my buddies. And then after the service, um, I'm going to hang out with my buddies until I can get away and go eat. That, that, that's, 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 you could argue that's a little hedonistic. It's kind of all about me. They make me happy. They, make, they laugh at my jokes. They, I, I don't feel threatened. I feel comfortable. Um, so those are some things that... Um, might stand in our way. I know those are things that I've heard us talk about as a community uh, when I've talked to people about this, and I know those are things that I've 
struggle with as well. So here's sort of the last real slide, and this is getting very practical. Um, so what do we do? So if, if we really do believe that Christ's broken body and shed blood has made a way, and that whether it's them going back into Judaism or us um, going into something else, whether it's uh, not valuing the church or whatever, if we really do believe that we are called to stir each other to love and good works because of Christ's value, because of the need of the body, and because of the day that's approaching, what would we do? And, and I would submit that we would be, begin by praying about it. Because what we don't want to do is say, okay, I, I, I know what I do. The sermon gave me three things to do. I'm going to come back next week and try really hard. That, that would not be the right basis for anything. We, we don't want to just put some more bricks in your wheelbarrow of work. What we would ask you to do is just pray that God would give you, give me, give us, an appreciation for what we have in this body. It really is a big deal. We are not alone, but we often act alone, or like the world is really small in the church. So I would encourage us to pray that God would give us eyes to this opportunity and to the day. Um, and then here's some just practical things. At church. Um, and Nick was kind enough this week in the blog, and I saw another email to begin to seed this conversation with some practical things. But just hear some, right? This is not a, by any means exhausted. Uh, let's talk to different people. I, you know, enough said. I've talked about that. Um, if we examine you know, who we talk to every week and it's the same people, I would submit maybe we should talk to different people or... We might want to say, you know what, this is obviously somebody I'm going to talk to this week. We always talk. How do I spur them to loving good works? By the way, they may quit coming up to you every week. If you, if you really push and say, how are you doing on the loving good works thing? How, how, how do you see your love for Christ growing? Let's talk about works, not works like you've got to work for Jesus to love you. No, Jesus loves you, so how does that look and how you walk it out? Um, so talk to different people. Maybe talk differently to some people. Uh, come prepared. Um, probably because of my advanced years, I now um, have to sometimes bring a piece of paper that tells me who I need to talk to. Because, you know, you get like three or four people and you can't remember them. But I would submit to that's probably not a bad thing for everybody to just pick somebody with intent. And if you have to write it down or you remember it, um, let's come prepared and uh, talk to somebody about loving good works. Um, that, by the way, applies for both quiet people and not so quiet. I know the quiet might say, I just am not wired that way. I want to I come back to that yet one more time. I put on the outline, you may need to change seats. I will tell you that my, my seating area has confirmed that the durometer, the hardness of the seating is the same on both sides of the church. <laughs> that's not scientific, but it's, I believe it's, it's a little cheeky. <laughs> it's funny. Um, but... But it's true, and there are nice people on both sides of the church. It turns out there's some real cool people over there. Um, yeah, so, and Tom, Tom doesn't look any better or worse from the other side. You do get a, you don't see that spot thing on, as much on that side. So, look, he, he, he could have come today and defended himself. That's not my fault. Um, come early, stay late. Look, you know, and that, that's like work, right? Because sometimes coming on time is a bear anyway. But I'm telling you, 15 minutes earlier, just start the chaos earlier. You can. We can. Um, if it's valuable, we can. And, and maybe the easier one, maybe we start with not running out. 
You know, the fact is, um, I hear uh, in this body on occasion, and the elders are very sensitive to this, that even in this body of believers who seems to be generally healthy and, and loving each other, that there are lonely people here. And I'm talking about there are people listening to me right now who you would not think are lonely. I don't just mean that one person that nobody really knows, this kind of, you know, fringe. I'm talking there are people that have been faithfully active in this church for years. And then when you really start talking to them, you find out that they feel very alone and disconnected. How could that be? How could in such a healthy church we have lonely people here week after week after week? And I would submit that um, we may need to spend some time with them. By the way, for those people, I would say if you feel lonely, running out at the end of the service may not help you either. Because we often find the folks that are uh, the loneliest also scoot out the quickest. There's a correlation there. And, you know, we remember that, that Old Testament idea that if you want a friend, you would show yourself friendly. So we don't really have to overthink that one a whole lot. Um, and then share your intention. I, I would submit that if you have a buddy or friend who you always talk to, maybe, maybe you say, hey, I'm going to start working toward encouraging more people. And maybe, that, maybe you do that together. Um, those are just some just a, a very brief uh, church list. Um, moving to the close here, away from church. There, there's lots of stuff, care groups and studies and discipleship relationships. There are some really cool things going on in our church. Um, a lot of care groups. I don't know how many care groups we have now. It's really a bunch. It seems like it, in many ways that's doing very well. Um, I know there are some discipleship uh, programs that have started. I know there are a number of things going on. And, and I would submit to you that uh, the elders are, even this summer, we, we've been talking about, or as we approach this summer, how we might create more opportunities. We, we are not unaware that th- there is a leadership element here. And we are thoughtfully considering how we might um, create more opportunities uh, for people to fellowship and, and to build relationships. But I will tell you this. I thought about this morning. Uh, what if tomorrow we, we announced that we were going to have a potluck every first Sunday afternoon? All right, imagine that. We're going to have, we're, no, let's make it big. Bill's Barbecue is going to be here every first Monday. Well, here's the deal. If you feel lonely here when these people who've been sitting around you for a month, a year, five years, if you feel lonely here, Going to a potluck where you're just going to be lonely again, <laughs> that may actually not be that attractive. At least here, there's a sort of anonymity. We can sort of, nobody's looking at you. They're all looking at up here. But to get in that place where now it's even more awkward. And so whatever we do in terms of more opportunities for fellowship, it begins with us as a body loving each other right here. Because I know if I feel like nobody wants to talk to me, going to another event where I'm reminded that nobody wants to talk to me, it doesn't do as much for me as you might think it does. And, and, and let me just by way of a visual, I, it's, I don't have a slide for this, but I would point out, and I want you to get this, um, we all have, would you, would you agree that we all have these little circles of influence, right? You know, I got my little circle, and you know, Preston's got his, and Randy's got, we all have circles, like these people that we sort of talk to all the time. That, that may be okay if you're in the circle. But think of this. This circle sometimes intersects, and, and I think smart people call that a, a Venn diagram, right? The circles sometimes connect, and you can be in more than one circle. But pity, pity the person who's not in anybody's circle. 
And I'm telling you, there are people listening to me right now, a number of people, probably more than I know, that don't feel like they're in anybody's circle. So um, having another event where we, we bring the circles to something else, that won't help you if you're not in a circle. That only happens when somebody walks over to you because they decided, I'm going to go talk to her. I've seen her for a long time. Or I know they're really popular and they're really active and they're really all that, but how do I know they're not lonely? Because it turns out they might be. Um, entertainment. Um, no crystal required. I, I know um, this, is, this is not my strength. Um, one of the problems with being OCD as I am is that I think our house ought to be really clean before people come over. That's why I have friends that I still uh, owe a trip to our house. But I'm OCD and I think the kids ought to pick up everything. That's really shame on me. Because it turns out, I don't know if we've ever had anybody over at our house where when they left we didn't go, man, that was cool. Why don't we do that more? I don't, you know, maybe when I left their house they go, why did we do that? But... <laughs> Because, you know, for a thousand reasons. But I don't think we've ever had one of y'all in our house while, where we didn't go. That was cool. Who are we doing next? And then, you know, entropy you know, sets in and we slack off. Uh, and as Tom has shared with us before, it's not, you know, a crystal requirement. Um, sandwiches really do work. Protein's a protein, right? Um, picnics, holidays, and I put one on here. Um, some of y'all know that um, it's one of the little things that happens in our church is there's is a, a home where during the summer we, uh, they show war movies just to bring some fellows into fellowship. Uh, no, no devotional is offered, no uh, Bible verses are shared, uh, just men hanging out with men. But as it turns out, when those men hang out with each other at the movie, uh, they then feel certain liberty to talk to each other the next week when maybe they need to talk about something else. And it turns out that even though it ain't spiritual, it was spiritual. So just a thought. Uh, this entertainment doesn't always have to be fancy, and it doesn't have to uh, always involve um, some grand theological uh, dissertation. Uh, meeting needs, uh, look, whether that's financial or otherwise, serving. Um, encouraging. Uh, this is sort of my next to last point, right? Um, I'm aware that there are folks in this church that aren't gregarious per se, but who... Um, do uh, very quietly. I, I have like three people in my head right now. Um, yeah, having to be three ladies, which speaks to an earlier point. But um, I'm aware of three ladies in here who are, just, and I'm sure there are many more, who just write sweet notes and do sweet things. And I don't know it because they would tell anybody that. I know it because I picked up on it from somebody else who picked up on it. That is a big deal. You do not have to be able to, to, to overwhelm somebody with the force of your personality. You can write them a note. And you don't have to tell them anything grand. Just thinking about you. Just prayed for you. Um, here for you. It turns out if you're one of those people that doesn't have a circle, that's a big deal. And if you're one of those people that doesn't have a circle who's having a really difficult time, it's a huge deal. Um, we, we have a, a lady in our church that I've seen these little crafts she makes where she takes Bible verses and puts them in little frames, and I think, well, that's not a big deal, is it? Well, and then you realize that you keep that thing for years because for some reason it was a big deal. Who, who knew? Um, last bullet. This was just a sample list, but it's been thoroughly vetted because everything on that page came from y'all. 
So I would not say for a minute that we're a church that does not stir, does not encourage to, to loving good works. Um, some of y'all do a great job at that, uh, much better than me. But I will tell you, is this is not for the, for the few, the proud, the evangelical. This is for us. This is for us, all of us. If we name the name of Christ, if we hold to that confession, if we say that we, we, that sprinkled blood, that broken body is our hope, then this is for us. It's incumbent on us. How you do it may be different, but this is us. All right? So here's my close. And I just put it in statements. and Way too wordy. I so apologize. But I, I'm going to read them um, just because I won't ramble through it. So, again, just recognizing that just like the writer of Hebrews talked to more than one group of people, I am too. So I'm going to say for those who can hold to the confession that Christ is your hope, because you've never made that confession of your massive need for him or his sufficiency. Um, you're not being called today to stir up other believers because you ain't one. You're being called to be one. You're being called to accept Christ, to follow him. And in, in, in Hebrews 4, 7, that would really be the passage I would point you to, where people are called, God is calling, and, and they're, they're told, don't, don't harden your hearts when he calls. So don't go out of here if you don't have any confidence that you are Christ's child. Don't go out and go, ah, now I've got to do that. No, you don't. You don't. Um, what you have, to, you have to do is wrestle with Christ's claim on your life. That's way more important. It's, you know, people come in and you know, we do the offering, and, and I wonder sometimes, unbelievers think, well, am I supposed to give? I'm like, no. Why would you give? There's something way more important for you to do. Consider the claim of Christ. Uh, for believers here, the passage calls us to reaffirm not only what Christ has done for us, but the sufficiency of that word, and to translate that, that understanding and, and what I should be gratitude into action by engaging those around us, both inside this, this little time here on Sunday morning and outside, uh, to see them move to, be, to more love and, and more good works. Um, it's a very practical step of action. And in fact, uh, we'll close here in a few minutes and you'll get a chance. You'll get an opportunity uh, to do this. You know, sometimes you have to wait until later to do the sermon. Yeah, no, we're, we're going we're gonna to scoot out of here and get to Panera before the crowd does or we're going to talk to people. And when we talk to people, we're either going to talk about the same stuff we always talk to them about or we're going to actually say, you know what, the confession is so great, Christ is so great, um, and in fact, the time is really brief, more brief than we might think. Maybe we should talk about something meaningful. Okay? So with that in mind, let's spend some time in prayer, um, uh, both in gratitude for, the, for our high priest uh, and to ask for a growing awareness of our opportunity to stir this body to love and good works and for increased faithfulness in doing that. Now, as we often do, or as we always do, I'm gonna, I'll start us in prayer. Uh, and then uh, we'll open it up and we'll ask you, as Tom always does, um, to pray uh, clearly, audibly, so we can hear you and join you uh, and, and be mindful of others. Um, so we would, we would love to have uh, enough time for multiple people to pray. So please uh, appreciate that. And then an elder will close us uh, at the end. Father, um, thank you. Um, for the shed blood of Christ, uh, his broken body, um, 
his um, getting us behind not just um, the picture curtain of, of cloth, but getting us into the true holy of holies through his access, his righteousness. Father, thank you that that's so much better than religion or work or anything that we could have ever mustered up. Anything we could have do today would be like those high priests back then. We'd have to keep doing it, and it still wouldn't be enough. But we don't have to do that. Nobody here has to do that because Christ has absolutely made complete sacrifice of himself for us. And that is our confession as believers, and that is the hope for those who in this room don't know you. So with that confession in mind, I pray you would, you would move us as a people, as, a, as this local group, to start taking very seriously this opportunity we have to stir each other. Uh, in me, in my home, and in all of our homes. Um, that we would, um, both, both to our joy, to your, to your glory, to the fruit of this church, uh, we would benefit from this great privilege you've given us. And I pray that in Jesus' name.